Welcome to the weekly podcast of Calvary Chapel, South London, a church where the truth of God's word meets and transforms the reality of our daily lives. We hope you are impacted by this week's teaching. Today we're talking about the ascension to infinity and beyond. Would you turn with me to Acts chapter 1? And we're going to read the first 11 verses. Acts chapter 1, verse 1. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. Until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And whilst whilst staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, Will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father is fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up. And a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. The ascension to infinity and beyond. Can I I welcome you today as you join us as we again look at the Bible? As a church, we are nearly 10 years old and can't lie, we're enamored with the Bible and particularly with the central character of the Bible, who is Jesus. He's the most celebrated character in all history in the Western world, two of the most important festivals or holidays or holy days on the calendar are the birth of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus, Christmas and Easter. And because they're so popular, everybody's heard about them, whether you're a disciple of Jesus or not. And for the past six weeks or so, that was over the Easter period, we've been talking about a very important aspect of Jesus's life That is the resurrection. It's the theme of Easter, which is not an unfamiliar topic. Yet there is an aspect of Jesus' life that isn't so popular. And it comes right on the heels like of the resurrection, chronologically speaking, which is what? It's the ascension. If the resurrection is the climax of Jesus' earthly ministry, the ascension is the beginning of the ministry of the church. 
If the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, describe the earthly ministry of Jesus, the book of Acts and beyond describe the heavenly ministry of Jesus. Now, have you ever said to yourself, boy, you know what? I really wish that I lived at the time of Jesus, at the time of the disciples, because I would have been able to sit and hear exactly what Jesus said. I would have been able to sit and and talk with him. What an experience we say that that would have been. Well, if you think like that, you would be one of the disciples standing, gazing in verse 10 and 11 of our text. And that would not have been good. On a scale of 1 to 10, the disciples would have scored badly at this point. This was not healthy. And the question is, where do you, where do we find ourselves this afternoon? You may potentially consider the evidence of the resurrection unconvincing. You may have come along because you got one of the flyers or because, because, because someone invited you along. And, or you might even be here for the first time today as a non-Christian, as an unbeliever. You're not really convinced by the resurrection. You may be here this afternoon and you may consider the resurrection as actually factual. But it's just merely a historic event. Kind of relegated back to the annals of, 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 of historicity. And in your mind, you believe it, but it ain't really got no connection to the 21st century, especially with regards to your life. And linked to that, you may be here thinking, you know what, I don't even honestly know why I'm here. Like, why am I here? I mean, it's Sunday and I come to church, but I'm not sure why. Where do you find yourself this afternoon? Where do we find ourselves as the collective body of Christ, that is the church. I mean, we're a bunch of disciples, aren't we? And we've been, we've been walking with Jesus for a few years now, like these disciples. But have we, have you possibly come to a stagnant, motionless, static place in your spiritual life? Have you come so far and yet You've lost vision for the next step. It's a real place that a lot of Christians find themselves in and sometimes not even knowing it until you sit down and really begin to think, you know, where actually am I in my relationship with God? Um, Have I stagnated? Stationary. Just like these disciples staring up in the sky. Not having a clue as, as to what to do next. Like these, you might be with Jesus like they were. But are you on the same page as Jesus? Today, I'd like to identify three things, hopefully, that might help. First of all, the mission of Jesus, the mission of the Spirit, that is the Holy Spirit, and the mission of the church. The mission of Jesus, the mission of the Spirit, and the mission of the church. So first of all, the visible and invisible mission of Jesus. Here in our text, these disciples and Jesus are not on the same wavelength. (laughs) Jesus is like, you know what? The first part of my mission is finished. Jesus is like, my mission is over. 
and I'm going to the Father. Like, my mission is over. I'm going to the Father. That's how Jesus is feeling at this particular time. It's like he's completed his first tour of duty. And he's saying, like the Labour Party when they first came in. Or was it? Yeah. Things can only get better. Remember that? I think they, they reintroduced that song. And that's how Jesus is feeling. He's really excited about this particular time. And his followers, well, they're expecting him to continue to minister on earth. And, and if Jesus leaves, they're like, better. Things can't get better if he leaves. Things can only get worse if he leaves. The disciples think that, the disciples are feeling like we're at the end of the mission now. <laughs> Jesus is like, well, we have, um, we've, we've actually only just started. See, although Jesus is about to leave, doesn't mean that things are going to deteriorate. Jesus not being visibly present doesn't mean that he isn't spiritually present. It doesn't mean that he ceases to function. He just switches from earthly to heavenly role. Hey, how do we know this? Look at, have a look at our text with me. As you glance down, who's the writer of this book, Acts? It's Luke. And this is Luke's, this is, Acts is Luke's sequel to his first book. So this is the second volume of Luke, if you like, right? Acts chapter 1, verse 1. In the first book, that is his gospel, the gospel of Luke, he says, in the first book, O Theophilus, who he's writing to, I've dealt with what? All that Jesus began to do and teach. Verse 2, until the day he was taken up, taken up to heaven, which we will see in a moment. After he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. To them he presented himself alive, which is what we looked at concluding last week. The resurrection. He showed himself alive after his suffering that was on the cross and he did this by many proofs with regards to the fact that he's alive he's back conquered death remember he ate food he had a physical body that could be touched and examined remember mary tried to grab him at the tomb side there remember thomas you know what, I'm not going to believe until I can actually put my fingers in the handprints, the nail prints, and in his side. And then Jesus appears to him and says, go for it. <laughs> but he didn't, did he? He responded by falling to his knees. Got a funny story about that, but another time. He falls to his knees and he says, my Lord and my God, doesn't he? Jesus walked and he talked. He, he was visible. Jesus appeared to Peter, James, and it says in 1 Corinthians 15, to over 500 witnesses all at one time. You can look in Luke 24 and Matthew 28 and 1 Corinthians 15 again for those references. But he could also walk through walls or at least appear in one place and then appear in another place. He sometimes appeared in a strange form. Isn't it? Kind of unrecognizable. We saw that in, in our community group last week. That Jesus had turned up and people are like, is, is it him? Or, we're not, we think it's him, but we're not sure. To the point where the disciples were eating with him on the, on the, on, on, on the riverbank, right? And they were like, boy, 
We, not, we, we suspect that it's him, but no one's going to ask. Let's just eat the fish and the bread, yeah? Jesus, in a minute, we're going to see him levitate. So, by many proofs, all during a 40-day period, speaking about the what? The kingdom of God. Apart from Jesus being taken up, all of this, verse 1 through 3, has already taken place. We're just waiting for him to ascend. And this is what we've been discussing for the past six weeks. You can, if you haven't been around, you haven't heard, you can, you can listen online to the podcast or the vodcast on Calvary Chapel, South London, dot sermon, dot TV. Jesus has he's, he's been crucified, he's died, and he's resurrected. And Luke says to his friend Theophilus, the word Theophilus could also mean God-friendly. So it could be a person, or it could be just anyone who's friendly with God. Read Luke. He says, I've documented a biographical sketch of Jesus' life for you to personally examine. But that first record... The Gospel of Luke was only a record of what Jesus began to do, which means that the book of Acts and beyond is what Jesus continues to do and teach. And the hinge that, that swings Jesus from his earthly ministry to his heavenly ministry was the ascension. Here's a popular medieval painting depicting the ascension. Notice, it's half natural, earthly, and it's half spiritual, or heavenly. See, Jesus is transitioning between earth and heaven. Now, you might not be able to see it so clearly from where you are, but just above his feet and above the clouds, I suppose it's a depiction of everyone in heaven. Versus all the people that he's leaving, quote unquote, behind on the physical earth. Jesus is transitioning. Now, when we talk about heaven, don't necessarily think of sky. How many of you know the Bible talks about the first heaven, which is what? The first heaven is the stratospheric heaven. It's The air that we breathe is where the aeroplanes and the birds fly. Everything underneath the stratosphere. Then you have the second heaven, which is everything beyond the stratosphere, the the space. That's the second heaven, cosmological heavens. Because the word heaven just means space, expanse. Right? You see that in Genesis 1 and 2. But... Paul then makes reference to another heaven, doesn't he? He makes reference to the third heaven. The third heaven. And I would argue, don't quote me, but I would argue that this third heaven is God's abode. And it's not necessarily, well, go through the stratosphere, keep going like in the space shuttle, and go as far as you can to the edge of the universe, and then you're in heaven. That is the third heaven. I wouldn't, that's not what it is. That's not what it is. Listen to Paul in 2 Corinthians 12. He says, speaking of himself, I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Whether in the body or out of the body, 
I don't know. God knows. And I know that this man was caught up into paradise. Whether in the body or out the body, I don't know. God knows. And you know what? In that place, man's heard things that cannot be told, which man cannot utter. So, all them books talking about people died and went to heaven, show them in the bin. They want to come back and tell you about heaven and all the things that they saw and oh, and then they went to the lower parts of the earth and they went into the chasms of hell and hell's got X amount of compartments and down there they saw. Bond them books. Use them as firewood. The only, 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 the only, the only part, anything to do with heaven or hell, let's just, let's, let's, let's just stick to the scriptures. You know what I mean? Because Paul, Paul says in the scriptures, can't talk about them things, fam. Apart from that which is revealed, right? Now, the, Paul says, you know what? He's like, there's, there's, there's things about that place I cannot explain. I don't know. I can't explain it. It's inexplicable. And I think my point is, that is the environment that Jesus transitions into. Now we're going to come back to that. <clears throat> this painting is beautiful because what it does is it shows a distinction between two worlds. Between two aspects of Jesus' ministry. And that's, and that's exactly what's happening. And sometimes we forget this. You know, we serve a supernatural God who dwells in a, who dwells in a, in a realm that is very different and far superior to this one because this realm came out of that one. How can, so, so that one must be more real than this one. But like someone creating a cartoon. This is reality. That's a cartoon. Imagine the characters thinking, yeah, wow. Like Noddy Land or I don't know. There's a, yo, Noddy, there's a world out there, fam, that's more real than your world, you know. But his world's real to him. But bruv, you want to come and look in this world that, that your world came out of. <laughs> Our God's on levels. He's outside of time and space. Uh, you remember Close Encounters of the Third Kind? Some of you do. <laughs> it's a film from 1977. Oh my gosh. <laughs> And it, <laughs> describing up close and personal encounters with UFOs, aliens from another planet, from another dimension. And we, and we, we, see, we see this phenomenon depicted in modern films like Aliens and E.T., Flash Gordon back in the day, War of the Worlds, Star Wars, Men in Black, Predator, Star Trek. Guess how many science fiction films were made in the last century? Just science fiction. Over 300. I mean, there's probably over 300 aliens films, right? I don't know. <laughs> A bit of an exaggeration. Now, what do, you, what do we call those types of film? We call them science fiction, right? What does that mean? It means it's fictitious 
from a scientific point of view. I mean, we, we pick up that term and we use it. You have to be careful. It's fiction from a scientific point of view. It's science fiction, but how many of you know a lot of that, a lot of that stuff is biblical fact? That is not little green men running around and speaking crazy languages, but what is biblical fact is the existence of another world, another realm. See? We believe it, but we don't believe it. I mean, alien, even the word alien, we use that in, in normal language, right? It's, it's somebody who comes from somewhere else. Illegal alien. You're not from here. Get back on the plane and go back where you're supposed to be, right? An illegal alien, someone who's not from these parts. Well, anything that comes to the planet that is not human or animal or fish or insect and whatever categories that we're familiar with, anything other than that is alien. See, and the thing is, as Christians, the Bible's full of that. And we believe it, but we don't really believe it. And for three years, these disciples, they were experiencing close encounters of the third kind. Water being turned into wine, multiplication of loaves and fishes, blind eyes being opened, deaf ears being unstopped, the dead being raised back to life, Jesus walking on water, demonic exorcisms. I mean, there's another category, another genre of films that deals with that, right? Jesus, we see him controlling the wind and the waves like the character in X-Men, like Storm. Oh, Quiet the world with a word, quiet to the waves and the amazing. And here's another incredible moment as Jesus ascends. Now there's a double meaning in this. First of all, he ascends, meaning he literally overcame the laws of gravity. Inexplicable. It's impossible scientifically speaking. The other thing is, he ascends as a king to the throne. It's the difference. This ascends means to move up or to rise, metaphorically speaking, right? To rise from a lower level or station. <clears throat> it's like, you know, you could, you could walk up, step up to the throne of England. I suspect there's a throne somewhere. I don't know where it is. It's, it's not in the tower, is it? Where's Adam? Adam used to work up at the tower. Throne's not there. Is it in Buckingham Palace? I don't know. But there's a throne, right? Now, you could, you could walk up to the throne and sit down on the throne. <laughs> I mean, if you know, that don't mean that you're the king or the queen. Right? See, because it's reserved for royalty. And in similar fashion, we can't think about God like, well, we live on the first floor and God's up there somewhere on the third floor. If you got the stage, you can go to him. Or even God being in, in another place spatially. Even in the whole universe, he, he lives in another realm. And when Jesus ascended, he didn't just overcome the laws of gravity. He went up to take his place on his throne. 
I mean, he went back to where he was before he came. He's not like us. We were born. Where did you come from? What do you mean? Jesus, you were born, yep. Where did you come from? I came from heaven to earth to show the way. Right? He's different. He's not like you and me. He just went back to where he came from. He's the king, and he went back to sit down on his throne. Amen. And in... See, and that realm that he lives in is close to this one. I would argue as close as my nose is in proximity to my face. In Mark chapter 1, verse 14 and 15, it says, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is what? It's at hand. That means it's coming quickly, but it also means it's within your grasp. How do you get there? Repent and believe in the gospel. That's how you step out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light in a nanosecond. No traveling through space. Steep. Jesus is as alive today in that realm as he was 2,000 years ago. Back then is when Jesus began to do and teach. Since the book of Acts up until now and beyond, Jesus will continue to do and teach as he sits on his throne in the heavenly realm. Ephesians 4, this is interesting. Where's Harry? I know Harriet's going to love this one. Watch. In Ephesians 4 in the ESV, it says, But this is not the way you learned Christ, says Paul, assuming that you've heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. You see that word about? I've highlighted it. Guess what? It's not in the original. Added by the translator. King James smacks it. King James, original KJV, King Jimmy, and the NKJV smack it. Can't they tell it like it is? See... They say, but you have not heard, you have not, you have not so learned Christ, if indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus. Now, why is this significant? Because you can get the impression by reading one translation that Jesus is someone that you hear about. In the original, it doesn't mince words. It talks about the fact that you actually hear him when, now. Guess who Jesus is? He's the great I am. That means he was, he is, and is yet to come. The almighty. There's never a time when he doesn't exist. So that means Jesus is still speaking today. Question is, have you heard his voice? And he speaks in one realm, and it translates into this realm, not necessarily, don't, hear, don't listen that for an audible voice, because the way that this realm connects with, the way that realm connects with this realm is spiritual. And Jesus talks in the Gospels about hearing, but not with these, your ears, he talks about hearing with your heart. Very, very significant. Jesus is alive 
as we heard last Sunday. Jesus is alive. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3 says, He, speaking of Jesus, is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds God, by the way, and he upholds the universe. And, we're, and we get worried about things that are significant to you and me, but in comparison to the one who holds the universe, it's a minor to him. He who upholds the universe by the word of his power, notice two things, after making purification for sins, one, he sat down, where? At the right hand of the majesty on high, enthroned. Right here you see the two aspects of Jesus' ministry. One is earthly, one is heavenly. Earthly, that is his birth, life, perfect life, a miraculous birth, perfect life, never sinned, tempted in all points, yet without sin. His perfect life is death and his resurrection. All of these contributed to him becoming the perfect sacrifice, doing what? Making purification for sins. Only Jesus Christ did that. So you want to be forgiven of your sins? Acts chapter 4 verse 12, neither is there salvation in any other, for there is only one name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. And his name is Jesus. You have to come to him. And guess what? You can do that. Because he's alive. And he's closer than a hairbreadth away. Not up there somewhere. Right here. When? Now. Where? Here. How? Because he's alive. And he's in heaven fulfilling the second part of his mission. Where he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Can you see that? Hebrews 10 says the same thing. It's banging <coughs> just how these two issues a juxtapose. Verse 12. But when Christ, Hebrews 10, but when Christ had offered for all time, oh my gosh. The Bible is deep, right? We've got to plummet its depths. When, when, when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, it then sat down at the right hand of God. See the, you see the earthly and the heavenly mission and ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. Imagine, after three years for the disciples, the penny still ain't dropped. These disciples still haven't got it. Have you? Talk about disciples. Yeah, three years and they ain't got it. How long have you been a Christian? Have you got it? I, I, I'm having to ask myself that same question. Robert? Coming like a madman. Robert? No, I'm not mad because I read the Bible. David done that. Robert? Do you actually believe this? 
Do you? Or, or, or are you like the disciples that you're quick to point the finger at? Still aimless, passive, complaining, fretting, worrying, discouraged. Standing like the disciples in verse 9 through 11. Have a look at it. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up. And a cloud took him out of their sight. Now, how many times have the disciples seen Jesus perform miracles? Verse, yeah, verse 10, why they were gazing into heaven as he went. Behold, two men stood by them in white robes. Want to ask them some, want to ask them a question, innit? And said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand here looking into heaven? This thing. Men of Galilee, what? Why do you stand here looking into heaven? These are two angels, right? Now, you might agree with a comment. You're like, Yeah, sounds like a reasonable question to me. This was actually a rebuke. The angels were saying, you man's are standing here gazing. You, should, you lot should be running up and down the place in excitement. Instead of standing around like wide-eyed in shock. Like, oh, oh my gosh, look. I was thinking, is there a stained glass window in it with the ascension? Wherever it is. You know what I mean? They're like this. Stand the way they looked, by definition, is to look as if without blinking. <laughs> it means to stretch, like to look and to... Okay, you want to get closer to, to see if what you're looking at is real. It means to look intently, to stare. I mean, how long does it take, you disciples, to realize that you're dealing with someone that's supernatural? And you know, the world wants to believe this, 300 science fiction films tell me that. Have you noticed that 9 out of 10 science fiction films end with good overcoming evil? Where do they get that from? See, as much as they try to suppress the truth like a cork, it always pops up somewhere else, doesn't it? They want to believe this stuff to the point where they make these movies and for an hour or two go into a movie house or a cinema or sit down with your widescreen 3D TV, right? And for an hour and a half, you go into a, a different world and you forget about what it's like to live here in the three-dimensional world. And for a minute, you escape reality but only looking for a greater reality see they want to believe this stuff but they can't because in order to believe it they have to repent but we can because we have repented and we should believe because it's actually true Our whole lives can be lived, not in this natural physical realm, but in this supernatural realm. 
But just like the disciples, we struggle, don't we? And we need help. Which brings us to our second point, which is the mission of the Spirit. Go back to verse 4. And while staying with them, he, Jesus, ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me. Now, when had they heard Jesus speak about the promise of the Father? You're right. Luke 24, verse 49. And what is the promise of the Father? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. Look at verse 5. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. As you know, Jesus is going to be leaving in a moment. So who is going to replace him? The Holy Spirit. And this is, this is significant. <clears throat> what would the Holy Spirit, when he, when he came, what would he do? John 16, verse 12 through to 13. Jesus says, I, I still have many things to say to you, heavy. Even Jesus, quote unquote, understood his limitations. Jesus like, there's so much I want to tell you, he says to the disciples. But you know, you can't handle it yet. Paul said the same thing in Hebrews 5. You know what I'm saying? It's like, I've many things, but you can't bear them now. It'd be too much for you now. But when the Spirit comes, when the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all truth. That's when I'm, all, that's when I'm gone. He will, for He will not speak of, on His own authority, but whatever He hears, He will speak. And He will declare to you the things that are to come. That's when Jesus has already left, but Jesus is telling them this, right? In John 16. See, the mission of Jesus doesn't stop. It just continues in a different way. See, involving the coming of the Holy Spirit. It's as if Jesus is in the ring, this is his life, and then he looks around and he tags the Holy Spirit, and Jesus dresses back, and here comes the Holy Spirit. See? And he comes in a unique fashion. John 14, verse 25 through 26 says, These things I've spoken to you. Jesus says, well, I'm still with you. But the helper, the who? How many of you need help? I know I need help. I've got both hands up. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things. And bring to your remembrance all that I've said to you. You see why you don't need to go back 2,000 years? Like, back to the future. To sit with Jesus. Because you can, you, can, you can sit with Jesus. Jesus calls the Holy Spirit, as Brian rightly said, the comforter. Which is wonderful since Jesus is leaving, right? And within one chapter... Of Jesus leaving and the Holy Spirit coming, we see a transformational change in the disciples. Wow. Actually, 10 days after the ascension, right, we see a revolution. In Acts 2, the Holy Spirit comes to the disciples in an extraordinary way. And Peter, filled with the Spirit, filled with the Holy Spirit, he stands up. And he speaks in an unprecedented way. Doing exactly what Jesus says in verse 8, which is to be a witness. 
Did you hear it when I read it at the beginning? To be, oh, Peter stands up to be a witness. Empowered by the Spirit. So the way that Jesus would relate to the disciples would change when? After the ascension. See why this is so important. And it will be better for them when he leaves than if he stayed. But they, his first century disciples, they couldn't see it. And guess what? We, his 21st century disciples, are potentially just as blind as they were. May God help us. They have no vision. They're expecting it to all of climaxed at this point look at verse 6 so when they had come together they asked him Lord will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel Jesus referred to the the kingdom at least 50 times in the gospels so it wasn't unreasonable for them to to be thinking about Jesus reigning as king in the kingdom and them as his sidekicks right but they are thinking earthly reign Because they say, restore the kingdom. You can only restore something that was. A restoration of the old Davidic kingdom, or even the golden age under Solomon. Remember, Solomon was so, um, his reign was so amazing. It says says that, check this. It says that in Solomon's day, in his reign, silver was as common as stones. How many of you would like to live in that kingdom? (laughs) See, and this is where the um, hyper-prosperity gospel preachers, I can't even call it gospel, you know what I'm saying? That's where they go off, because that's what they want to see. Trying to invite the king. Jesus, the disciples asked Jesus about that, and he says, but yet we want to bring that. it's It's the same thing. It's the same thing. See, they want, they, they want an Israel where, they were, where they're affluent socially, economically, and politically. See, all of this would happen. They just limited the breadth and the scope of the kingdom. There was going to be another 2,000 years at least to recruit subjects for the kingdom, Right? See, now, Jesus was going to begin reigning, but not in the way that they expected. Within moments of them asking a question, Jesus would be sitting on the throne. Jesus would be ruling the kingdom of Israel, quote unquote. But it's not the natural nation of Israel, but the spiritual Israel of God. See, it's not the natural Jews, racially speaking. Jesus' kingdom would include all. All nations, all languages, all ethnic groups, all people. Including many of us seated and standing today. The disciples lacked understanding. Listen to what they didn't see, something the Apostle Paul later would see. Referring back to the hidden purpose of God. Oh my gosh. Ephesians 3 verse 8 through 11. To me, says Paul, though I am the very least of all the saints, this great, 
This grace was given to preach to who? The Jews? To the Gentiles, the unsearchable riches of Christ. And to bring to light for some? No, for everyone, what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things? So that, whoa, wait a minute. So that, look at verse 10. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he realized in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And what would be the means through which God would bring this about? Notice verse 10. Through the, through the what? Through the who? Now, is the church a building? It's a cool building. No? The church is the people. The church is the people. Yet, if all we're doing is standing, gazing, and not going anywhere, does that sound like what Paul is talking about here? Do you feel like you are one of the individuals through whom the manifold wisdom of God now might be made known? Yo, I'm telling you, we don't believe this. Through the church. And this brings us to our third and final point. The mission. We, we looked at the mission of Jesus. We looked at the mission of the spirit. This brings us to now the mission of the church. Not only would the kingdom. Not only, not only would the reign of Christ be extended to all nations. But it would also have, oh my gosh, a cosmic effect on the invisible principalities and powers, the rulers of the darkness of this age and the spiritual wickedness in high places. I'm like, you see that in verse 10? Now what, is, now what the heck does that mean? Like Paul, I don't know. See, there's, there's stuff that confounds disciples today just like there was stuff that confounded the disciples of way back when. What is, I don't know what that means, at least not in a full and complete sense. I know it sounds like something cosmic. It sounds like something multidimensional. Oh my gosh, where's Marky? Hyperspaces and multidimensions, oh my gosh. Like, this is, talk, this is, this is other realm stuff. This is, this is science faction. Hey! We don't fully understand this. What is God doing through the church that even, it's like a war within a war. Like, who, who is God always? See, we don't understand that. That's one of the hidden things in a complete sense, right? But what we do understand is the clear mission of the church. See, this is a part of the eternal purpose of God, hidden. Hidden to the point where even after being with Jesus for three years, his disciples didn't get it. They couldn't see the extent to which God's purposes would extend through the birth, life, death, and resurrection. And now the ascension, verse seven, he said to them, Jesus, it's not... You know what, fellas? When it comes to... There's, there's, there's certain things that... 
He says, it's not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed in his own authority. There's stuff for us to know and there's stuff that's not our business. Jesus says to them, mind your own business. What you want to know about? Mind your own business. And the same is true for us. Let's not worry about the things that don't concern us. I mean, even if you knew them, what? I mean, what, would it change anything? We have enough to give our attention to. And what might that be? It's being witnesses. That's the mission of the church. Based on the mission of the Holy Spirit, based on the mission of the Lord Jesus Christ. The mission of the church. If you're in the church, mind your own business. Which is what? What is your business to What is my business to mind that I'm getting excited up here about? Verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. The disciples saying, Lord, will you? And Jesus turns around and says, no, you will. Don't worry about the, what I'm going to do. You worry about this. Jesus, you, no, you. Worry about being a witness. Worry about being my witness. You, you, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, Samaria, and to the end of the earth. Now, we've already gone through the book of Acts. That's why I'm not laboring the exposition this afternoon. You can go back and you can listen to that where I deal with every, where we deal with every, every what we deal with most of the details. You can't always deal with every detail, right? You can hear a little bit about that, that trajectory, what that's all about. Jer- Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. Jesus saying, worry about being my witness. But the disciples don't get it. And at the point where Jesus is now about to leave, they think, oh no, Jesus is leaving us. Yes. But he will come back to you in a way that supersedes his ability to be with you physically. Physically, he can only be in one place at one time. When he leaves, it will enable him to be in more than one place at one time. It's not the absence of Jesus, it's the increased and heightened presence of Jesus. It's not the loss of Jesus, but it's the unprecedented, cosmic, timeless, omnipresence of Jesus. You ever heard of Buzz Lightyear? He's a character in the film Toy Story. And I remember this when my kids were little. Toy Story, Buzz Lightyear. Buzz Lightyear, right, he thinks... That he's a superhero. He thinks that he's a superhero. There we go. But he's actually just a toy. And he's got this laser that he thinks is a laser. And when enemies come, he fires this laser. But it's just a light. Just a light. And Woody shows him, right? It's just a light. He's got this visor thing that he's got on, right? And he thinks, you know what I'm saying? Oh, I need this visor thing. It protects me when I'm in, you know what I'm saying, in atmospheres where I can't breathe. And Woody's like, fam. And, 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 and um, Buzz gets really serious about it, trying to get out of his way because Woody's trying to press the button, right? And he gets to him and Woody slaps him on the side and his visor opens up and he's like, <laughs> like for about five minutes, he's rolling on the ground. 
And then he realizes that he actually can breathe. There's a, there's a point where he, he jumps off of the banister because he's convinced that he can, that he can fly. He jumps off the banister. And for a minute, but then all of a sudden he begins to fall, like free fall, like terminal velocity type fall. <laughs> Ends up on the floor, breaks his, his wing or his arm or something. Horrible. Crash into the... To the ground. And then later on he sees, I don't know if you remember, he sees a, a, an advert on the TV about, about these Buzz Lightyear toys and it absolutely shatters his dreams. He can't believe it. He's looking and it is cardboard. But it's not a spaceship. It's actually a cardboard box and you can buy it in this store and you can see he's like nearly got tears in his eyes. It's kind of like a, an emotional moment in the film. <laughs> see, now we need to think about Jesus like that, but in reverse. See, we will say we believe everything that the Bible says about Jesus, but do we? Often, really, we see Jesus like Woody sees Buzz Lightyear. Yeah, 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 we do believe in Jesus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Subconsciously, we don't really believe it. See, and I'm not just talking about miracles, signs, and wonders. We should, we should be happy if the Lord never ever does a quote-unquote miracle. Because he's already done an amazing miracle. It, it's, 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 it's your paradigm. Be, I mean, and we do ask for miracles. If someone's sick, we pray for healing. But not seeing that in someone else's life or even in my life ought not to cause us to disbelieve. These are not even the big and gigantic things. I mean, you don't even see no holy per miracles like post AD 100. Like for 1900 years. Right before that, the whole of the Old Testament and, you know what I'm saying, much of the New Testament, the life of Jesus, we see bare miracles. Which miracles have you seen legitimately? You know what I'm saying? Because there's been a shift. And it's not that God can't perform miracles. He can, and and I suspect that he does. I would argue that he did. The birth of my daughter, it's her birthday today. 20 years ago, I saw a miracle because my wife was barren. Pastor E, Pastor P, um, and some of, you got, some of you guys who've been around for a minute, you know that. I believe that was a miracle, but what am I saying? The fact that you stand up and you witness to someone and they hear the voice of Jesus speak to their heart and they're transformed, they're regenerated. Yo, that's the kind of miracles the Lord's pulling off. Left, right, and center, if only we would see it. See? I'm predominantly talking about where Jesus is and how he continues to function. Oh my gosh, we ain't got time. Just like the disciples, could we possibly find ourselves in a place of misunderstanding. For those of you that understand the implications of the resurrection, where are you at? Are you even aware of the person of Jesus and how, biblically, he affects your life? You may have never come to church before, as I said in the introduction, but then you might be someone who's attended church all your life. Or are you a believer who is 
paralyzed, static, stand in like these disciples, fearful, apprehensive, and unclear about the future. God forbid you'd be a believer and in that place. Well, my encouragement to you is don't worry about those things that you have no control over. Doesn't mean that you don't pray about them. Of course we do. But once you've done that, you can leave it to God who is holding the universe together and, and just work on being a witness. Why? Verse 11, as we get ready to close. This Jesus, second part of verse 11, this Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. This speaks about the day of coming judgment. We see it in Daniel chapter 7 and 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Pastor E made reference to it a couple of weeks ago. Which is why we must take, this is judgment. This is why we must take our job of being witnesses very seriously. May God help us. Because we're 2,000 years closer to that day. That day of judgment. Time is running out. And just before Jesus ascended, he said this. Matthew 28, verse 18 to 20. Jesus says, all authority, where? In heaven, that amazing realm, but also in the, in the other realm where we earth dwellers are. Unless you're a supernatural individual filled with the Spirit. All authority, Jesus says, in heaven and on earth has been given to me. On that basis, go. Don't stand here gazing. Go. And make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. See, and that's, the, that's, what, that's what we're trying to do as a leadership here. I mean, I know we dropped the ball on so many counts. You know what I mean? And, and thank God you realize that we're sinners. You know what I mean? Um, and yet, we have a commitment to you, the church, and to the Lord Jesus to see his purpose fulfilled, this hidden mystery fulfilled. That's why we bang on about being a healthy church. This is what it means to be healthy, equipped to disciple and then effective in outreach, being a witness. But you can't be that witness until you're healthy and until you're facilitated. And that's where we want to go. We're not fully there yet, but we're moving in that direction. And it's because this is the Great Commission. This is why, this is why if you're not sure, this is why you're here as a believer. See? And Jesus promises, he says, and behold, I'm with you. What, just the disciples then? No, he says, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. How many of you know Jesus is? So there we have it. The mission of the church, empowered by the Spirit, commanded by Christ, who has ascended to the throne as the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the ascension is that which detonates. Remember the old school 
dynamite, they used to hook up the dynamite and have this lead thing to the, the box and they used to squeeze the box and boom. Well, the ascension is the detonator. Of all that the resurrection accomplished, there's more emphasis on the resurrection, no doubt. We're not trying to elevate the ascension over the resurrection. But it's when Jesus transitions, oh my gosh. See, it's at the ascension. Just after that is where we see the the power released when the spirit came. It all starts with seeing Jesus in his dual role as propitiation and potentate. That means monarch or king. It all starts when you see Jesus as the lamb, but also the lion. It all starts when you see Jesus as savior, earthly, and sovereign, heavenly. It starts with you seeing the king lay aside his glory and humble himself, becoming a man, and even more lowly than that, die a criminal's death in the most embarrassing way, naked on a cross, beaten, battered, blooded, and shredded for my sin and for yours. Yet just like the movies, it ends with the good guy winning the victory over evil. It trumps science fiction and hopeful fable. Jesus is the real, factual, true-to-life, original superman. Let's ask God to fill us with his spirit so that we can be witnesses to testify to this fact. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord, you are the undisputable heavyweight champion of the world. You're the king. And you reign supreme. No doubt about that. Seated on the throne. But the issue, Lord, is are you seated on the throne of our hearts? And I'm challenged by this myself, Lord, so greatly. I pray that you would be the king. Not just of the heavens, but also our hearts. In the name of Jesus, we pray.